Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Heine House Gaming and Tech Podcast. Let me hit my recorder there. Let's start that right, right off the bat. It's good to see y'all. Thanks for being here. This is episode 61, uh, recording July 12th, 2020. Uh, I'm excited because my birthday is uh, tomorrow on the 13th, basically when you hear this. That or it will be in the in the past will have already happened. Yeah, really exciting. Really exciting. Um, you now, as you get older, it t- tends just to be kind of another day. And that's that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, I don't know. Well, maybe we'll talk birthday memories. when I, I have a little section. Maybe we'll talk about it. Um, what else we have here? Heinehouse.com is the website, of course. You want to check that out. If you're new to the show, give it a give it a, a visit. There's lots of content. I actually had my good friend Blink on Twitch ask me uh, last week because he's putting together a command in his Twitch to where when uh, somebody comes in, he can initiate the command and it sends a little plug in his chat to like, hey, check out this person. And he wanted to know where to send people either just to my Twitch page or, or to my website because he's like, I think the website might be better because it has everything. And yeah, that is that has actually been an issue that I've had for many years is that I do so much. I do so many different things that it's hard to encompass where to send people. And, and I think if you're on a platform, like if we're on Twitch and we're talking, it might be wise to send that community to Twitch. That's where they're, you know, they're already on it currently. But uh, yeah, the website is definitely... The all-encompassing, and I spent a lot of time, shout out to Ryan, my good friend Ryan, who helped me build it out. Shout out to Brandon, my good friend Brandon, who helped me proofread and go through a lot of stuff early on. It took a long time to plan that site, but anyway, I'm just rambling. Uh, it's good to see you guys all. Thank you so much. Uh, 503-908-5490 is also the phone number if you want to send a voicemail uh, or just record yourself. Live at gmail.com is where it's at. I have a lot of gaming, uh, a few tech pieces in here, but basically I have a lot of gaming news. Um, I didn't think it was going to be a big week, to be honest. And um, yeah, so I was a little worried. And then uh, uh, Steph hit me up last night. She's like, "Uh, you might want to check the links. I sent over uh, a few. I'm like, okay. She sent over like 60 links. It was awesome. Uh, It was awesome. So uh, yeah, I, I weeded through it all and uh, we have lots of cool stuff to talk about. First, let's get into some random news. Kellogg's is releasing Minecraft cereal. Wait, what? Where's where's my soundboard? I'm going to have to wait. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Way delayed. Uh, the cereal includes grainy bits. I love how it says grainy bits. Grainy bits that look like square-shaped Cheerios with little green marshmallow cubes that represent Minecraft creepers. Even Bob likes that. Bob, that was her Borderlands. Did you hear it? It was her Borderlands game. Steph's in the other room playing Borderlands, and Bob heard something like, woo, and he was like, holy shit, there's somebody out there. Thanks for protecting us, Bob. Thanks, Bob, for protecting us. Uh, the cereal is going to come in two different variants, an 8-ounce box for the for 4 bucks and a 12-ounce box for 6 bucks. Man, cereal is so freaking expensive, isn't it? Uh, each Creeper Crunch cereal box will also include a code for in-game clothes, items, and uh, jackets. 
the press release for this says, quote, with a global audience of over 126 million players per month. Wow. Minecraft is bringing the creative adventurous spirit of its widely popular game to another platform. Oh, clever. Cereal. Introducing Kellogg's Minecraft Creeper Crunch Cereal, a tasty cinnamon-flavored cereal featuring green square-shaped creeper bit marshmallows that deliver the variant, oh, that, that deliver the vibrant world of Minecraft. Okay. Uh, you had me at cinnamon. I don't really care what you brand that shit. If it's cinnamon, I'm down. I, I do, I do like cinnamon. That's a great question. Cereal is always a great topic. Always a great topic. How many votes do I get for, for favorite cereal, Cinnamon Toast Crunch? Huh? You, you might want to you might want to send me a voicemail on that. What are your some one of your top three favorite cereals? Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Um, I love Fruit Loops personally. I love the actually. Can I say Fruit Loops Marshmallows as a variant that I found down here in Arizona? You know, and you know, different territories will have different cereals. Uh, but yeah, uh, Fruit Loops Marshmallows. And uh, I, I mean, I wouldn't say it's like my favorite, like I crave it, but I love Fruity Pebbles, even though it's kind of like you have to eat it within the first minute or it just turns into like slop. But man, that first 30 seconds that you put the milk in, you start, dude, it's amazing. It's amazing. And nobody knows who the Flintstones are anymore. I mean, shit. What do they call that? What does Malto meal call them? Dino bites or something? We, we usually, we've actually, we've bought like the Kroger the Kroger branded cereal. And it's actually pretty good. We haven't, we haven't minded that. But then recently we went to a place called Winco. I don't know if you've heard of Winco. It might be, might be something just like West coast, Southwest. I don't know. It's like a Costco without the membership, right? It's actually a fantastic place. We love it. And they're open 24 hours. So we go late, late at night, like two, three in the morning. No one's there, which is great. We can get all our shopping done really quick. But we started buying their branded, the Winco branded cereal. And I shit you not, I am a firm believer growing up and I, I'm, shout out to my parents. I, I love you. You always bought the name brand cereal. They never skimped and bought the cheap stuff. They never bought the Malto meal and all this sort of thing. And I'm very thankful for that. I'm very thankful. Um, you know, that was definitely a, a perk. Um, and I didn't realize it. I didn't even know that there were other brands of cereals growing up like that. Um, until I went over to some other friends' homes and they had like the huge bag. And I'm like, holy shit, look at this huge bag of cereal malto meal. And I tried it and I'm like, oh my God, it's garbage. It tastes so bad. But I didn't think about even trying other brands until, well, here we are now. We're, you know, we're, you know, hey, hey, we're just living on a budget. You know, we're trying to, <laughs> trying to do what we can. So we're trying other brands. And to be honest, if you at all can try Winco brand cereal, it's amazing. I, I hate to say this, but I don't because this is great and you save a bunch of money. I tried the Fruit Loops from Winco, whatever they call it, Fruity Rings or whatever it's called. I couldn't tell a difference. Yeah, yeah. You know how you you know you eat Malto meal and you know an instant difference. You're like, okay, this is part sawdust, part cardboard. Like I can taste that. But the but the Winco brand, seriously, I'm like, did they open up? Did they open up Fruit Loops and dump it into their bag because that's exactly what it tastes like so try it sometime i don't know top three cereals i don't know give me a call tell me about it 503-908-5490 i'd love to hear from you um so yeah but i want to try this minecraft cereal hell yeah sign me up i don't know when it's coming out i didn't see a release date in the article but i'll be keeping an eye on it 
Um, I have some all-gen gamers news. I'm, I went through, I've talked about this before. I talked about it on stream, and I think I mentioned it briefly in the last episode. But officially, I'm going to just announce it. I, am, I went through some old hard drives, found the entire back catalog of all my backups from all-gen gamers. Every single last episode. I thought, well, because I'm the only one who has this stuff, and I'm in charge of basically all of that because I produce the show. I feel like it's 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 my duty. I feel like it's my my calling to upload these episodes and archive them and back them up on YouTube. I have full control of the All Gen Gamers YouTube page. That was what we negotiated from the very beginning of me coming onto the show. So I have complete control. It's under my account. It's under my umbrella. Um, so I am uploading. I am I am arch- I'm throwing them into the video editor, making a static image, and then exporting them and uploading them to YouTube in their entirety. I'm going back to our All Gen Gamers website because it's still up. And if it goes down, it'll be bad. That's why I want to do this. Because um, not everyone has access to these episodes. And um, I'm going back. I'm pulling all the show notes. I'm pulling the, the titles. I'm correcting all the spelling errors. I'm updating all the tags. I'm updating all of the links to all of the hosts because some of them are broken. Um, in fact, like almost half of them were broken. Um, so I'm updating them. And I'm basically just just archiving what it what it is today, right? Um, and it's great. So all Gen Gamers on YouTube, go look it up. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. We've had the channel there forever. I just haven't uploaded them to their, uh, on there for a while. But I'm beginning the process. It takes a long time. But um, yeah, I just did episode 85 actually before I started recording this episode. So we're working through it. We're going to get through all 200 of them or 202. I don't remember. It's on there. So anyway, that's a great update. I think that's great. A lot of people love that show. Um, 60,000 pounds of chicken nuggets are being recalled. Wait, what? I know we're talking about food. I thought I'd bring this up. Pilgrim's Pride is the brand. It's recalling about 59,800 pounds, 60,000 pounds of chicken breast nuggets because they make, they may be contaminated with Materials specifically specifically flexible rubber material, officials said. I thought that was common practice. The stuff in the other room going, is that's how they get them chewy. I know. I thought this was common practice. I mean, I thought Banquet's been doing this since the beginning of time. So what's what's the big hoopla here? <laughs> Just kidding. Um, no, it is a serious deal. Four pound plastic bags containing Pilgrim's fully cooked chicken breast nuggets have a Best Buy date, May 6, 2021. They also have a lot code of 0127 printed on their retail package. Uh, Waco, Texas-based company received a complaint from a customer about rubber pieces in the product. Statement says that there has not been any confirmed report uh, from the Health and Safety Board. However, out of a cautionary measure, they are recalling all of these nuggets. Uh, They were sold in Arizona, Idaho, Oregon, and Texas. So if you're a listener in those states and you bought Pilgrim's Pride chicken nuggets, fully cooked chicken breast nuggets, uh, they say throw them out. Throw them out or return them to the retailer. And uh, yeah, that's pretty terrible. I bring it up because, uh, man, I love nuggets, dude. I love chicken nuggets. Born and raised, bro. That's probably why I'm so messed up. Nothing but nuggets. Nothing but nuggets. Uh, speaking of food, Sonic the Hedgehog gets his own energy drink. Yes, it's real. Sega and G Fuel have teamed up to release a brand new Sonic energy drink. Sanic drink. Drink Sanic. 
It's called Sonic's Peach Rings. It will be available on August 12th in the U.S. and a 16-ounce can via G Fuel's website exclusively, I guess, to start off. Um, Sega of America released the following statement. We are ecstatic to partner with such an established energy drink company in the gaming community to bring Sanic's Peach Rings to the market. Sanic the Hedgehog has always been a character that embodies perseverance and endurance <laughs> with the qualities that are central to G Fuel's product. We can't wait for Sanic fans to enjoy it. Uh, yeah. Uh, also, I didn't put it in the article, but I read after the fact, they have a limited edition cup um, that they're going to be selling as well. Very limited numbers uh, on their websites, like the the drink plus a Sanic cup and a collector box and things like that. So August 12th, G Fuel, go to their website, check it out. I'm down to try it. I mean, Peach, I love Peach. So... Peachy, peachy should be good. Um, and then lastly, in random random news, it's my birthday. Yeah, birthday's on the 13th. Um, I bought myself a present. And big shout out to Mr. Uh, Andy in the community there. I say, oh, Andy from Discord, or Andy from Twitch. He's all, he's been, he's been a, a longtime friend and supporter on many, many platforms. Thank you, Andy, for this. He sent me a link in Discord and said, hey, it's on sale. You might want to buy this. He knows I was looking for it. I have it here. I'll bring it up. It's kind of a kind of a kind of a big box. Uh, can you? There we go. Can you see this here? This is the Hori Mario Kart Edition Racing Wheel Pro Deluxe, full size racing wheel with pedals. There's the pedals. If you can see that with the glare. There they are. Very very cool. But what's nice about this is that it allows you to remap all the buttons as well. It has paddle shifts. Very, very cool. And of course, it's from Hori, so we know it's of very high quality. We love Hori, have for years. And uh, yeah, man, I'm excited. This is going to really, really wake up the analog racing games on the Switch. Basically, and I'm going to just say it, I don't really care. I don't really care. Playing a racing game or anything that requires precise analog control is basically you might as well just not play with a controller at all if you're going to use the Joy-Con because they're terrible. They're, they're, they're just terrible. I hate them. And the Pro Controller, it's much better. I mean, if you don't have a racing wheel, this is the way to do it. You have to use the Pro Controller. Not that it's not susceptible to drift. It is, but I'm just saying the right way to do it is with the racing wheel. And this went on sale, and I think it's a, a great... Um, a great addition to the collection. I cannot wait to, wait to play Grid. I know it's designed for Mario Kart, so I'm down to try that. Although, what's what's weird about it is I feel that a racing wheel with Mario Kart is probably... I know they're, they're, they're using Mario Kart as like a branding technique here. Like, I get that. And I think that's really the reason for it. To like, oh, it's for Mario Kart, let's buy it. But I feel like Mario Kart is such a Twitch racer... With your drifting of, of of hard left, hard right, like trying to navigate that, like drifting with a wheel with precision with a large throw for analog is probably not. I mean, I could be wrong. It could be amazing. And I'm going to try it. But I feel that Mario Kart is more designed for a controller. All right, I'm going to just say it. I think I think it is. This is definitely designed more for um, games that aren't like Twitch racing. Um like Grid, um, like Virtual Racing that's on there, and a few others. There's a, actually quite a few. Uh, Drive Club, I'm excited to try that. Uh, or not Drive Club, um, Gear Club. We'll see if that uh, we'll see if that works, because that game, I don't even know if it had proper analog 
I don't know if it did because I remember holding the joystick to the left just a little bit. And it was like, mm, then it would cut. That is a sure sign that analog is not proper in the game. If you hold the joystick to the right just a little bit, it should only turn just a little bit. It shouldn't continue to cut. That is a a D-pad, a D-pad, um, basically like, a, I don't even know what to call it. It's a D-pad. It's a D-pad thing. All right, let's jump into gaming news. A lot of cool gaming news. Sega is back with Astro City Mini. You may have heard of this. And you may have assumed that after the release of the Mega Drive Mini and then, of course, the upcoming Game Gear Micro. Remember, we talked about this. There are four different variants with four different games per device. We would have thought Sega may have been uh, ready to either throw in the towel or just continue on the hardware. Where the, well, they're continuing it. They are continuing this. One of Sega's most iconic arcade cabinets, the Astro City Mini, a desktop console, which, like the Neo Geo Mini, comes with its own screen and preloaded games. Special controllers also being produced for the unit. 36 games in total will be making the cut, which the following have been confirmed so far. Alien Syndrome, Alien Storm, Golden Axe, um, Golden Axe The Revenge of Death Adder, Columns 2, Dark Edge Puzzle, uh, Virtua Fighter, Fantasy Zone, Altered Beast, and a whole bunch of others. You need to go to their website to go see the whole list. Astro City Mini is set for a Japanese release at the end of the year. The price tag is 12,800 yen, approximately $120. There's no confirmation if it will be released outside of Japan, but I really hope it does because the thing looks really, really cool. It, it looks like, I mean, everyone knows, everyone knows what the, the iconic Sega Astro arcade cabinet looks like, right? It's, it's white. It's got the, got the face buttons on here and the joystick and this kind of angled screen. Like you, you're supposed to sit down. I think everyone knows. If not, just go look it up. It, it's really really cool. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a spendy uh it's a spendy piece, but I think if it's from first party, I mean, that's legit. Like I would I would definitely throw down on that. I wonder if it has a video out though. That would be cool because the screen is so small. But uh nonetheless, it looks very very cool. Um let's see what else here. Hey, uh you want to you want to play 50 hours of Animal Crossing and then get a 1000 bucks? It could be possible. An internet service comparison website is hosting a contest for Animal Crossing New Horizon players. Applicants are open, or applications are open until August 6th. Oh, you got plenty of time to sign up. The winner must accept by August 16th, and then we'll have until September 30th to play 50 hours on the popular game to receive a $1,000 prize. Highspeedinternet.com. Did you sign up for this, Steph? You better sign. You better get your ass in there and sign up. You're already there. They're already there. Can they give us some back pay? <laughs> Sounds really cool. Highspeedinternet.com. Check it out. Um, this was huge news this week. I think a lot of you have heard about this, but Fallout is getting its own TV series produced by and from Amazon coming soon or it's going to be on Amazon. I'm not sure if it's produced by Amazon. Let's look here. Let's look at my notes. Um, virtually no details on the project, except that it will be an Amazon prime original produced by Kilter films. Uh, a report from the Hollywood reporter adds that the project is coming from Westworld creators, Lisa joy and Jonathan Nolan as part of their overall deal with Amazon. Bethesda game studios, Todd Howard 
and Bethesda Softworks. James Altman will also serve as executive producers on the project, which is still in development stages. So this is great. So they have the right key people involved with this. Yeah, this is cool. That should be a very good show. As long as the key people are there to write for it and produce it and keep it on track. Um, a lot of chat about next-gen game pricing. There's a lot of stuff that's going on. So recently, 2K, uh, the sports, uh, I mean, not, not all sports, but mostly, uh, mostly some sports games. NBA 2K21 uh, is going to cost $70, $69.99 on PS5 and Series X without a free upgrade. So if you purchase 2K21 on PS4 or Xbox One right now, when the new version comes out on next gen, they won't give you a free upgrade or even a discounted upgrade. You have to purchase at full price. And not only that, it's $10 more. So people are like, wait a minute, why is it $10 more? They're charging more for it. Not every publisher and or developer are doing this. Some, in fact, are giving free upgrades to their games. And I think it's really a matter of business model, right? Um, let me read some of these notes I put on. On September 4th, players can pick up NBA 2K21 on Google Stadia, Switch, PS4, PC, and Xbox One for the typical $60 price tag. Later in the year, the new version of NBA 2K21 will be released on PS5 and Series X as a launch title, but the 2K Sports won't offer a free next-gen upgrade like many other publishers of cross-gen games. Instead, the company will set a next-gen version separately for 70 bucks, 10 bucks more. 2K responded to Polygon, which is where I got this article from, in a statement, quote, We believe our suggested retail price for NBA 2K21 on next-gen platforms fairly represents the value of what's being offered. Basically, we uh, are charging 10 bucks more. If you don't like it, buzz off. It's an interesting topic. And I think this is the topic that is actually about once a year kind of comes back around and kind of circles the wagon, if you will, because games have been $60. Um, kind of the, let's see, when was it? Xbox 360 was kind of when games sort of became the norm at the $60. Um, sure. I mean, there were games before that. I mean, I, I remember I remember paying $70, $80, $100 for cartridges. I think I paid... Um, I think I paid like 90 bucks for a killer instinct when it came out. And, um, you know, some cartridges were just more, some games were more. Um, so there's sort of this, like how much, how much should we be charging? Well, these AAA games, they cost millions and millions of dollars. Does 60 bucks really recoup that? I mean, the same thing can be said about movie tickets, right? How much does, how much do movies cost? Sometimes millions, if not sometimes like, Billion dollars, right? Like crazy, crazy budgets for movies. How a $12 ticket to get into a movie to watch it? Does it really justify? Like, I don't know. I mean, yes, I guess in some cases the box office does really well. Not so much now with COVID, but I mean, in general, you know, like the, the general business model and games at 60 bucks, is it too much? Some people have said, like, it's too much. We need to bring that back down. Studios are saying, no, it's not enough. It costs us this much to make the game. We need to be charging like 80 bucks, 90 bucks, 100 bucks. So it's it's a crazy, it's a crazy topic to kind of think about. 
you know, as the cost, as, as, as we, as we move forward, the cost of, let's just say the cost of living, the cost, the cost of gaming, it all, it all goes up, right? Everything goes up. The cost of your groceries, the cost of gas, the cost of everything. I mean, like in general, it keeps going up. So, you know, the big picture here is, you know, what about the pricing for games? Um, especially when we see six months down the road, that game is half off and they're just trying, you know what I mean? Like, and I get it. They're trying to get the initial, you know, the hardcore fans, the initial fans who are day one on those games. So yeah, I don't know. Like that's another great topic. Like that's another great, uh, form of, of banter to talk there. I mean, give me a, you want to send me a voicemail? Let's talk about that. That could be really interesting to talk about. What do you think about uh, the gaming pricing structure? Interesting. Um, Xbox, uh, or Microsoft rather, has announced a Xbox Summer Game Fest event. Uh, it's a Summer Games Fest demo event that will give Xbox One players the chance to demo 60, 60 plus brand new games. The demo event will run from Tuesday, July 21st to Monday, July 27th, and it's meant to act as a replacement for the in-person demo events like E3, PAX, Gamescom, and so on. These were all canceled due to COVID, of course. They say on here, quote, while we can't recreate the experience of attending a big show entirely, we can help you get your hands on lots of cool new games early, reads the official announcement. The announcement points out they won't be there. They won't be your usual game demos. Typically, the demos you see uh, in our demo channel are created after the game is completed or nearly completed and represent the final version. Many of these demos at the event are early and some are for games that won't be out for quite some time. The games will be up on the Xbox dashboard for one week, according to the announcement, and the final demo count will be anywhere between 75 to 100 games. This is massive. I think this is fantastic. Yes, 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 and more yes. 100 demo games to play. You should get in there. Definitely get on there and check them out. And I think it's great. I think it's great to play like early builds of games. I mean, that's not always like the best impression, but go in there with an open mind and realize that they're early and, uh, you know, being involved with game development um, myself on, you know, some sort of scale here. I do know that games change a lot and very quickly, in fact. So go in there with an open mind. I think this is great. Xbox Game Fest event, July 21st to Monday, July 27th. Sony had an announcement with some indies and game demos kind of after that, sort of underwhelming in comparison to Microsoft's, but they did talk about something. Uh, Sony says they're pleased to formally announce the PlayStation Indies initiative. With PlayStation Indies, we hope to spotlight and support the best of the best indie games being published on PlayStation and the entire indie community as a whole. Our goal is to make PlayStation the best place to develop, find, and play great indie games. While details are still forthcoming about the event, we are also happy to confirm a new indie title will join the PlayStation Now service every month, starting with Halo. Oh, Halo. Starting with Hello Neighbor in July. Halo Neighbor. Hello Neighbor in July. Please look out for our monthly PS Now post for more information. I think that's great. They're going to do an, uh, an indie game every month, which is pretty cool. Uh, still, I think it's a little underwhelming comparing what uh, Microsoft is doing. But it, remember, folks, Microsoft is kind of like they've been sort of heavy handed and going in and like 
kind of cleaning up with the indies. Like they buy out a lot of the studios and just kind of like, hey, <laughs> come to our platform. And I know unpopular opinion, but I mean, like Epic Game Store on PC, like they've been releasing lots of free games. This is their business model. This is how they get people to kind of say, okay, that's okay. I accept you now. Give people free shit. That's pretty much what they're doing. And, uh, you know, big games. Just cool. Um, yeah, look at this. I still got, I got a ton more articles in gaming. A lot of gaming stuff. I'm just blazing through it. Um, Amazon's latest PC game. Remember this one? Crucible. Remember that? Remember the big hoopla about Crucible? We're talking about it. Did you play it? Did you like it? Did you enjoy it? Well, if you haven't, you're SOL because it uh, just was delisted on Steam. <laughs> That's crazy. Less than two months after the formal launch of Amazon's game's first major PC game on Steam, Crucible, the company has chosen to yank it right out of the Steam store. Its developers, Relentless Studios, which is completely owned by Amazon, have announced plans to delist the free-to-play action MOBA from the Steam starting tomorrow. That was July 1st, so the article's a couple weeks old now. While continuing to operate the game as a closed beta for anyone who's already downloaded the game. Or if you've paid for one of its founder packs, you'll be able to still play it too. It's a cosmetic DLC. Its developers describe this change as a way to, quote, help us focus on providing the best possible experience for our players, end quote. As far as remaining players go, however, that assurance may ring a bit hollow since its delisting will likely reduce the player count and, uh, yeah, re reduce the population as well. As uh, time passes, and as of, current, as of me uh, writing this article, it had 200 concurrent players over the past week. Wow, that's super low. No wonder they delisted it. Yeah, so uh, so yeah, it bombed. It bombed. Yeah, it did not do well, unfortunately for them. And, you know, I feel bad. I feel bad for any anybody out there who's developing something and it doesn't go as planned. And I, I mean, I hate to say it, but I mean, we either love it or hate it, right? I mean, we played it. I sat down with Steph and Brandon. We jumped in. We played it. And Tito was in there. We just didn't like it. And I feel bad, but it, yeah, concepts were good. I just, I just think, you know what I think it really had? It had a horrible balance issue. I really feel like it had a balance issue and it was like quality of life stuff, like spawning. Spawning was broken. When you die, you spawn so far away that it takes you five minutes to run back to get to your team. And then you're basically SOL. Yeah, you'd spawn far away from your team, and uh, you could be picked off pretty easily. Yeah, it was Not over. only by enemies, like the enemy team, but also um, the wildlife there, too. I don't even know what they were called, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just remember, like, being big beasts. And not but, only like, that. if you're fighting them, and all of a sudden, like, an enemy comes out, you're pretty much screwed. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, is that then you, you had to you had to run back to your team, right? But then the wildlife that you're talking about, there's just sometimes they would just infinitely spawn, and you couldn't like you could run by them, I guess. But reality is, it's like you have to deal with them in some in some fashion, and they it was almost just like trash enemies. You had to kill them, I think, to help like level up and unlock abilities. 
Am I thinking yeah, of yeah, that yeah. wrong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if it's you didn't, like slightly MOBA-ish. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And if you didn't, then you were SOL. Like you're way underpowered. Like if the other team got level leveled up, I mean, it's over. Yeah. And when you when you respawn, you're like basically like with your pants down. There's like nothing you could do. It's like by the time you get to your teammate, they're already dead. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, there was a huge balance issue with that, and and I, and I feel bad. I feel bad about that, but uh, yeah, but it's delisted. It looks like you can go to their website and current and um, and re-sign up, but what they're doing is you have to sign up on their website and then wait for an invite code. That's a bad sign. That's a bad sign. I feel bad. Hey, what can you do? Um, yeah, rest in peace, Crucible. Maybe it will come back and it'll be fixed. You know what? Maybe it will. We'll tr we'll we'll try it again. Yeah, but I find. Gamers are less willing to give a second chance to games if they had a really bad experience the first time around. I don't know. Because it's like at that point, it's like, well, I already found another game to play. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. The attention span is pretty, pretty uh, short. Yeah. Like it could be a great game, but I don't think people would give it a second chance. Mm hmm. Maybe. It's, it's not Maybe like Duke. Wrong. It's not like Duke Nukem where people keep going back to the well and keep getting burned. Oh. Uh, but I, I mean, I love Duke. I mean, people know that. I'm just saying in general, everyone yeah, talks you, shit. I'm like, I fucking love Duke. Yeah, you love playing Duke Nukem forever. I mean, I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have. I have. I wouldn't say I keep going back to it. I play more Duke 3D than I do anything. <laughs> I haven't really played Duke forever in forever. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm come on. I'm leaving. Please stay. Stay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dear. Uh, Nintendo uh, apologizes for Joy-Con drift. In a, a financial Q&A posted recently, uh, the president of Nintendo made a statement regarding the Joy-Con drift. Quote, regarding the Joy-Con drift, we apologize for any trouble caused to our customers. We are continuing to aim to improve our products, but as the Joy-Con is subject to a class action lawsuit in the United States... And this is still a pending issue. We would like to refrain from responding about any specific actions. They said that to shareholders and financial Q&A uh, a couple weeks ago. So, yeah, I mean, they've acknowledged it. They know it's an issue and they're in a class action lawsuit for it. Um, I kind of feel like they, yeah, how do you handle that better? How do you handle that better? How do you how do you just come out of the gate saying, okay, everyone, we're actually going to do a recall on every Joy-Con that we ever made. We have a, we have a defect. We have a, a bad design. It's a design flaw. If it's low quality parts, if it's just you know inferior parts, whatever have you, um, we have a design issue. We need to recall them. They can't do that, right? I mean, they can. They probably should have, but not everyone has the issue, right? Well, not everyone at first. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Very interesting stuff. We'll see how that plays out. Um, to be honest with you folks, I'm ready for the redesign. I'm ready. I'm ready for the redesign. Give us the uh, redesigned Joy-Con. Give us a, uh, a Switch Pro or whatever they're going to do next. Give us the next iteration of the console. You know, they're already looking at the next console. You know, they're already designing it. Folks, Nintendo and all, to be honest, all, all console manufacturers, all, all game studios, um, that throw down in the console world, they're already designing the next console about a year after they launch a new console. 
that's just the way it is. They already have a timeline. They already know what's going on. So like the next switch, whatever the switch replacement, whether that be a switch pro or whether that be a, um, you know, a next console, I don't think we're going to, I don't really think we're going to see a next console from Nintendo just yet. It's still too early. I think an updated switch, maybe switch pro, like I keep talking about, maybe something like that with, um, maybe, uh, just a faster, uh, processor, maybe a little bit more Ram, maybe a little bit, you know, it can handle graphics a bit better and maybe better battery life. You know, those are all things that they can improve in the Joy-Con. So think about this, a Switch Pro. If they announce tomorrow a Switch Pro and they say it has it has 20% better battery life, it has um, higher resolution screen or has more RAM, faster processing, quicker load times. It has um, upgraded, completely fixed Joy-Con controllers, a fully redesigned joystick now. It's great. No issues. You know, like if they said that and just came out of the woodwork saying that, would you buy, would you replace your Switch? Would you buy another Switch? I would I would definitely buy a couple of Joy-Con controllers to start, but uh, that's definitely intriguing. I think so. I don't know. Would you? Would you buy another console? Have you waited this, this long? Which is, honestly, I can't be mad at you if you've waited this long to get a Switch. Shit, we waited a year, a year and a half, whatever. I think now is, a, I mean, now it's hard to get it, get a console, but now would be a good time for them to announce this with the demand really high still and the limited quantities of Switch. Now is the perfect time, Nintendo. Redesign that Joy-Con, update that Switch and release it. You'll sell those things like fucking hotcakes, man. Uh, speaking of consoles, uh, a leaked Xbox documents last week show a smaller Series X console. Uh, a Leaked Microsoft document recently hinted at the company's second next-gen Xbox. And now rumors suggest it will be a, it will be fully revealed in August. So because of this leak, they're like, yeah, yeah, okay, we're going to do it in August. Uh, Eurogamer, which is the, where I got this report, Microsoft had originally planned to unveil the console codenamed Lockhart in June. Microsoft has now reportedly moved these plans to August. And uh, Eurogamer claims that the console will be named the Xbox Series S. Oh, I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, Microsoft has been working on this second cheaper next-gen Xbox console for months. A Microsoft document leaked last week shed some further light on the company's plans. It basically looks like a Series X cut in half. It's like half the size. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. I try not to report too much on leaks and rumors and stuff, but that did happen. And so uh, I think we may get something in August. So keep tuned for that. And uh, interesting, interesting tidbits, some facts here. This Nintendo Switch, I kind of had these articles out of place, whatever. Switch sold 800,000 units in April 2020. Wow, that is staggering. April was another strong month for Nintendo as far as Switch hardware sales in the United States were concerned. The system that was, again, the best-selling platform in terms of, in terms of both the unit and dollar sales. Also heard that the year-to-date dollar sales of Switch are the highest of any hardware platform ever. PS4 sold 411 units. Uh, Xbox One sold 329,000 units, which also exceeded their uh, predictions. Switch did end up selling more than both of those combined during that time. But of course, some consideration needs to be given in the fact that you know, they've been, the Switch has been around. Uh, not as, I mean, the Switch, well, yeah, the Switch has been around longer than Sony and Microsoft. But remember, too, 
I think the the numbers could be uh, um, an indication of the pandemic that's going on, right? So, and being in super high demand. And remember, those figures are also high and I think could have been higher if there was quantity available for switch for people to buy uh, switches. Honestly, I mean, how many people, you know, wanted one, but they were sold out and couldn't get one? How many people like paid scalper prices? You know what I mean? Like that's shitty and everything, but some people did to get one. So I think if they had even more units on the shelves, they would have sold those out. So I think that number could have even been higher. Man, what what a what a time. What a time. What a time. Uh, my last bit of gaming news here. I know, right? A lot of great gaming news. I know we've been talking for like fucking 40 minutes on gaming. It's great. Um, Super Mario Bros. on the original Nintendo, the NES, sold for a staggering $114,000 at Heritage Auctions. A mint copy, 1985. Breaking the previous record set by a copy of Super Mario Bros. in similar condition that sold for $100,150 at auction last year. That makes it, according to game collector and journalist Chris Kohler, the most expensive game ever sold to this date. Remember a long time ago when the stadium events sold on eBay for like $50,000 or $55,000 and I was I got lucky and was able to get that girl on our podcast we talked about it. That was a really cool moment. That was way early on too. It's crazy to see like stadium events for 55,000. Like that's insane then, but that's like a bargain today. Especially when you see games like this going for so much. Well, what makes it so special? Uh, first of all, the game has been graded a 9.4 out of 10, which basically means it's near perfect condition. Everything sealed, original packing, and also, this particular version of the game is a U.S. retail edition that went through quite a few iterations over time. It's one of a really rare variant. Um, it has the cardboard hang tab. And you're like, well, what's the deal with that? Well, the cardboard hang tab originally was used in the U.S. test market copies of the black box games. Back before the plastic was used, remember they used to put the plastic on the outside of the, the box, um, Nintendo began to further establish their company in the U.S., and then they switched over to plastic hang tabs. But in the early days, they used cardboard hang tabs. Uh, the packaging was updated almost continuously. And strangely, the addition of the plastic wrap came before the box cutting. So, yeah, what's really interesting is that <laughs> this rendered the functionality of the cardboard hang tab completely useless since it was under the plastic seal. That's one of these games. So there are four total sub-variants of the plastic sealed cardboard hang tab box. This particular copy of Super Mario Bros. being three code variant that were produced within the span of one year. Each sub-variant of the cardboard hang tab black box produced within that time frame had a production period of just a few months. A drop of the bucket in comparison to the overall production run of the game. This is the this is the game that is the number one most sold game on the console, so on top of all that. So we're looking at a, a, a game that not only is within a one-year span in 85, all right, within, within that year, 
there's a two month gap, right? Of different variants, two to three month gap of production. And on top of that, this is completely factory sealed, right? In a 9.4 graded condition. That makes it, that really makes it one of the most, if not the most rarest Nintendo NES game ever. That is extremely rare. So, of course, the person who bought it, of course, wanted to remain anonymous, as most as most millionaires are. Um, some collector bought it. Be interested to know who. But, uh, yeah, who's got $114,000 just laying around? Shit, man. Crazy. Crazy stuff. Um, yeah. Let's just give a round of applause for the gaming section. Oof. A lot of cool gaming stuff, right? Uh, I have just a couple of tech articles. Uh, aggressive and intrusive Microsoft Edge is coming for you. And in fact, when I restarted my PC here to start this podcast, first thing that popped up on my welcome screen was this. I wrote this article last night. I want to talk about it thinking like, well, I haven't seen that yet. Fucking A, bros. Here it is. I see it right here on my screen. And it's docked and everything. Just as the article says, it's docked. It's in my start menu. I could not click out of it. It is forced. It has forced its way into my Windows 10. Let's talk about the article. Reports from users. I'm going to say I'm that user now too. It happened to me. Who restarted their Windows 10 desktop last week. <laughs> An app that they never asked for immediately launched itself. Tried to convince them to migrate away from Chrome. Giving them no discernible way to click away and say, no, don't pin yourself. No, do not pin yourself in the start menu. Do not pin yourself in the desktop. Get out of the taskbar, but it's there. It ignores your previous browser preference when it asks. I said I want Chrome. It ignores it. No, you use Edge. The next time you launch a website, fuck Chrome. No, it launches in Edge. Aggressive, intrusive, forcefully puts itself onto your Windows 10 machine. And did I mention, as of this update, you cannot uninstall it. They will not let you uninstall it. And I'm not really surprised that uh, some users are uh, going crazy against Microsoft and talking shit and going mad because this is, this is part of a bigger issue. It's part of a huge issue, in fact. Microsoft has gone almost against their word and saying that they're releasing updates to, you know, give a better user experience and that these security updates and quality of life updates are for the better. You know, they say this, but then when something like this happens, what were they thinking? It's very, very difficult. Like right now I'm looking at my, my, my dock and it's down there. And I haven't even clicked it. I haven't even launched it again. I was so frustrated. I went to Steph and I go, Steph, the article that I wrote, the link that you sent me and the article that I wrote, I, I'm experiencing it right now before I start the show. I'm fucking experiencing it. It's happening. It's part of a bigger issue though, I think, because they force you to do these updates. You have to. You have to update. You have to um, run them. And if you don't, you can put them off for like a week. But then eventually you have to. And you cannot get around them. When you shut your computer off or reset it, those are your only two options. You have to. And if you leave your computer on 
after a certain amount of time, it's just going to just reset itself and do it. Like it forces itself. So I almost feel like, is this the moment when Microsoft says, okay, we, we have, we have come to the end of the road. Everyone, everyone hates internet Explorer. Okay. We get that edge edge is the browser. It uses Chromium engine. It's the best for Microsoft. We want you to use it. And I think this is where they're drawing the line in the sand. They're saying, look, if you use windows, Fuck you. You're using this. You're using Edge. And we don't care what you think. You're using it. And this is where they draw the line and say, screw you. We're doing it. And it's almost like it takes it takes that. Not that I'm a, believe me, I am not condoning this. I'm not approving this. I'm not, I'm not saying that this is great and I don't agree with it. I'm just saying if I were in the minds of Microsoft who have a shitty Microsoft Explorer browser that no one has used for since 20 years ever, Right, except for when you're on Windows 95 and that was all we had, all right? That you want people to use Edge and nobody still will use Edge because they want Chrome, even though even though Edge, from what I understand, is really good. The Chromium engine, it basically syncs with your Google. It syncs everything together. It's fantastic from what I hear. It's really, really nice. But when you forcefully do this to people, they have a bad taste in their mouth. And you know what? To be honest, I don't even want to fucking use it because of that. Just because of that. Very interesting stuff here. I do not agree with that. I do not like that at all. If they're if they're one to force this, what what other stuff they're gonna force on our throats? It's rough, man. It's rough, man. You know, in fact, I think I was gonna do an I think I'm gonna do an after party talking about the 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 future of of computing, the the future of of uh PCs. Because I feel like when we talked about Apple's ARM technology using their their ARM chips. And, uh, you know, we got Raspberry Pis. We have all these things that are also using ARM chips or smartphones or using ARM chips. I think we have a, I think we have a very different and interesting history um, ahead for us in, in, in computing. Uh, not that I'm all for it necessarily this early on, but I do feel that I feel that we're going to start to move away from x86 and x64 architecture. And I think we're going to start moving into more ARM-based computing, smaller chips, less heat, more processing power, you know, uh, uh, SOC, system on a chip is what they call it, where we're going to have one chip that pretty much handles everything, if almost everything. And maybe we'll still have small GPUs on the side, maybe. But I mean, big processors generating lots of heat. Heat is just wasted energy. It's not going towards anything you know, overclocking a chip, liquid cooling, all these things that big PCs have to take advantage of this stuff. I think we may get to a point to where these ARM chips, the system on a chip architecture is going to start to take advantage of technology and start to move forward and actually step into our PC. It's an interesting topic. And I think I'm going to spend, I want to spend some time and actually talk about this. And I'll do that on a Patreon after party. So if you want to hear that, I'll probably talk at least a half hour about it. The, the future of PC gaming, future of PCs in general, what I feel, what I think. Um, yeah, I do, every month I do an after party where I just, I go into a in-depth uh, detail about something. And uh, that's only five bucks a month. Patreon.com slash Jason Heine. You can go there or just go to my website, HeineHouse.com. Check it out there. HeineHouse.com. And lastly, on the tech stuff here, Spotify is doing something for the couples. Spotify is making it easier for couples who live together 
to split the cost of a premium membership while also merging their music taste. The company is debuting the, its newest subscription offering, Premium Duo, it's called. It costs $12.99 a month and allows two people who live in the same place to share a plan while maintaining their own accounts. A family plan membership is $2 more than Duo and supports up to six accounts. Hmm. The plan also comes with a special family mix playlist that promises uh, that the same thing as the Duo mix does, except it accounts for the entire family's preferences. A single premium membership on Spotify is 10 bucks. So I don't know, man. I, I don't know that it's like actually great value because the family plan is only two bucks more and it gives you six accounts. But I see what they're trying to do because a lot of people are sharing accounts and they're trying to get get rid of that. In fact, at their financial, um, uh, at their mid-year uh, financial uh, meeting, whatever it's called, all of these companies are having this. Like a, it's a financial like Q and A for shareholders and things. They were actually under they they were under on their advertisement uh, revenue, so they are trying to come up with ways to to fix that. So definitely uh, underperforming a bit, which is which is crazy. So yeah, interesting stuff right there. Um, yeah, that's all I have for a tech. Yeah, five zero three nine zero eight fifty four ninety. Uh, we're going to hop into the phone lines, and uh, I think I just have one voicemail this week, I believe, from, uh, I think it's from Mr. Cameron. I saw that come through here. Let's go ahead and uh, pull up my my email, voicemail, hotline, and uh, yeah, oh, let's run, let's run the thing. Let's run it. Hello? You've got voicemail. Bam. There it is, Mr. Cameron, the voicemail maniac. Yeah, and I appreciate you all hanging out with me on this lovely day. Thank you for being here. Thanks for listening. It's cool to talk about gaming for a long time. There are a lot of cool stuff. There we go. Let's get this going. Close the tab. Open the tab. Here we go. It's a rainy Sunday morning here in Nashville, Tennessee. But uh figured I'd just give you guys a shout and give you my questions for the week. Now, just to clarify a couple things, um, as far as the uh, – I know I mentioned a couple of episodes back about you guys doing food content. Um, and I, I think somebody actually on the last uh, podcast, they called in and echoed my sentiment. I actually wasn't really talking about necessarily you guys cooking. That would be cool too, but uh, – I enjoyed all like the kind of fast food reviews you did, like the Burger King one and the White Castle one. I thought those were cool. Yeah, those are cool. Um, those are fun. That kind of thing. I'm kind of a, I don't know, a fast food junkie myself for, for probably worse, not necessarily better, but uh, it is what it is. But I just thought those were cool. You know, you guys kind of actually sitting down or even bringing stuff back at this point, which I guess that would be good for for the kitchen. You said you needed to do some rearranging. Anyway, um uh, my question was, um, what are your favorite handheld systems? And this goes for both of you. Mm. Let's pretend like the Switch doesn't count because it's kind of both, and we're just now experiencing, I would say, probably the future, right, of Nintendo uh, consoles where they kind of double as both. But uh, we'll say a pre-Switch, <clears throat> what, are your, what are your favorite handheld consoles? Um I have to just, you know, say for sure for me, the Game Gear and the original Game Boy 
Um, the Game Boy would probably be my favorite, but Game Gear I loved as well as a kid, mm. even with crazy battery uh, changing uh, and, the, and the extra cost of that. But yeah. it's super affordable to get into now, but not too many Game Gears are floating around that work. So Yeah, they're all dead. With the all the capacitors drying out. And yeah, uh, last thing, I think that movie that uh, you guys mentioned with the with the hook hand white face thing, I think, I'm pretty sure that's one of the Puppet Master movies. Almost positive. They're not very good, but the first one's watchable. The rest I couldn't get through. So anyway, you guys have a great uh, week and uh, stay cool and stay healthy. Thank you, Cameron. I appreciate that. Good to hear from you as always. Thank you for taking the time to send over voicemail. Uh, that's a great question. Hey, Steph, do you have a moment to pause and answer a question or not? She's like, uh, what's the question? <laughs> Favorite handheld. Um, yeah. So interesting. Yeah. Your favorite is a uh, game gear and game boy. I mean, yeah, two, two great, great consoles, two great handhelds. <sighs> yeah. I think, I think this is where I'm going to have to disagree with you on that one there, Cameron. This is where we're going to have our first argument, our first disagreement. Uh, I love, I love the game gear, but man, I do, I do not put that up there anywhere with, um, uh, any of my favorites, to be honest, it's uh. Never owned the Game Gear, so I can't really comment on it. It, it was an interesting, interesting time because the Game Gear was way far superior to Game Boy, with the full screen, color. It was it was more comfortable. It it was just amazing. Like it had grown up games. Like I remember I I remember I played the shit out of Mortal Kombat two on Game Gear because it had the blood and it was just it was amazing. It was cool to have it. And at the time, not really thinking about it, but man, that that console is so. Except for Sonic, Sonic was really optimized well for that. The the console runs super slow, I think, and it's. I really, I'm surprised. I would have thought that because I always wanted a Game Gear growing up because yeah. I always felt like inferior with the Game Boy. Granted, I love the games on the Game Boy. Yeah. But trying to play like I had Mortal Kombat two on the Game Boy, and it's rough. Yeah. Yeah, it's rough. Yeah, and you think about like two buttons, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, two buttons and like two frames a second. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, and Dude. everyone's like green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, hands down. But I still had fun with it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know any better. <laughs> That's actually kind of like the, the um, the reality of it is that we didn't know any better, and so we had nothing to base it off of. Um. I, I don't want Cameron to be like, well, fuck him then. <laughs> no, I, I just, uh, no, 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 that's cool. That's cool. I, I just, man, I really tried to, I really tried to like and love the Game Gear. And I have, I have quite a few games. Fuck, we had a, a, a thrifting episode where we found that one in the box. And there's like 20 or there some odd like, games. And, and there's two Game Gears. Two in Game there. Gears. Yeah. And it was amazing. But again, they all don't work. All yeah, the capacitors dried up. They I do not work. If there's a way to be able to play those games, like, is there an EverDrive for that? Like, to be able to play. That's a good question. Does EverDrive Game Maybe. Gear games? Yeah. Like, but on console, like on a Genesis or something, like kind of similar to how Super oh. Nintendo has the uh, the uh, Game Boy. Does um. Superboy, whatever it's called. Hyperkin. Oh. Does Hyperkin? I don't know. Accept Game Gear cards. I don't know. If they do, that would be. That would be awesome. It's like they're what is it? Hyperkin five? What is the? It's, it's it's almost been like ten years. I, I know. Don't remember. I was we, and we found one of those at Goodwill too. Actually, yeah, we have one. We just never use it. Yeah, yeah. We never pull it out. 
I don't remember. But Game Boy had fantastic games. I remember, I mean, yes, granted, the Mortal Kombat was a little rough, but like playing games like uh, Final Fantasy, I had F1 Race. I think it was called that. And I loved that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I had RC Pro-Am on there too. Yeah. F1 Race was kind of like RC Pro-Am. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there were a lot of great games. Yeah. Um, so after we just completely talk shit and attack you, Cameron, I'm just kidding. We love you. Um, no, it's great. We just don't know any better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I were to if I were to really say like, what's my favorite handheld? And Switch doesn't count, by the way, which I, I think that's fair, because um, that would be probably our favorite. Game Boy Advance, hands down, very very for me easily. It's a portable Super Nintendo, and it's just fantastic. Now, it's a weird, it's a weird balance, and I'll tr I'll try to keep it quick. the The Game Boy Advance version one, the the wide one rather, is more comfortable. But the SP, um, went through a couple changes. One SP one was the square one with the flip up screen, and that was, it looked better, right? It was smaller, so it wasn't as like cumbersome. But it didn't have the the lit up screen. Then the SP one hundred and one, which is the second revision, which is the one you want, had the the light up screen. It had two different light options, like basically like dim and bright, uh, and that's the one to have. Um, so if you can get, <laughs> I wish honestly, I wish I could get an SP uh, an original Game Boy Advance with the SP one hundred and one screen put in it, so that it's more comfortable. But now I'm going on a side tangent. But yeah, for me. Game Boy Advance, SP101, absolutely. They're they're fantastic. And it's it's like a again, like a portable Super Nintendo. It has all of the great games that were on Super Nintendo on it. And they're just brilliant. And you can play them on your GameCube with the GameCube uh or with the Game Boy Advance adapter that plugs into the bottom of your GameCube and play it with a real controller. I mean, like, it's just so great. Game Boy Advance wins it for me. What about you? I'm You're like virtual boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, I'm going to say, I mean, not to put like poo poo on um, Sony, like the PSP or the Vita, but I feel like Nintendo always blew them out of the water with handhelds. And it sucks that we didn't get more handheld options like from, I guess like there's the links and but I never owned that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that look I, on your face. Yeah, ain't no one gonna be talking about links. Yeah, that was. <laughs> I call that one the shoe. You know. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. My favorite is probably the Nintendo DS. I, I, DS or I DSi. I mean, yeah. they're both pretty much the same. But I feel like it's because I had so they have such a great library of games like um, Phoenix Wright, the Ace Attorney series, um, the. Oh, I'm gonna mess this up. Like nine, nine hours, nine doors, nine persons. I think that's the order it goes in. Yeah, the nine 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 game. And even like the first party stuff was just—it's like it was innovative. Like having a touch screen. I remember playing Brain Age when that came out. That was a big deal. <laughs> and I don't know. It's just something about it. Just like that touch screen. It was just something so completely different, so new. Granted, some things were kind of annoying, like trying to control Zelda, or excuse me, Link in uh, Legend of Zelda. Um, 
oh, what, which one is it? I think they both are the same, but like the same controls. The one with the train. Why can't I remember the name of that one? One with the train. Yeah, it's like a DS, um, Legend of Zelda DS game with the train. And like you play as Link and then Zelda accompanies you, like her spirit's in a uh, a suit of armor and she helps you fight. I can't even remember the name. Spirit Tracks. There we go. Oh, damn. <laughs> damn, nice. Like that was kind of annoying because my hand cramps up trying to mm-hmm. control Link with the uh and that's one of the main the things pad. with handhelds, right? Like depending on the style, they're, they're designed for small hands, and like we have, we have big. I have big adult hands, hands baby, adult hands, and so yeah, it cramps up. That's why I like the the XL style; those are the best. I always wanted the DSi XL with the bigger screen. Yeah, that was because I remember I remember playing the original DS and I'm thinking, oh my god, the screen is like, it's like the size of the Game Boy Advance screen. It's so yeah. small. The XL is where it's at. I yeah. have I have one, and it's the uh, the red. Mario 20, 25th anniversary one. Oh, cool. But like an idiot, I opened it up and like shredded the box and I'm like, I want to play it. <laughs> well, hey, you want to play it. That's okay. <laughs> but yeah. I, put a, I put a condom on it, so it's kind of protected. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. DS. A lot of good stuff on there too. Yeah. And I think um, your, uh, your comment about um, wishing we had more options, I agree. But you know what happened is that they tried. Like Sony tried, and they failed. But I, I mean, in comparison to Nintendo, yeah, in comparison to Nintendo. But I f- still feel like they had some good games on there. It oh, just, there was absolutely. Not, I don't Dude, know. The PSP is amazing. Yeah. The PSP is amazing. It's a portable PlayStation Two. Yeah, Vita has some good games too if you search through it. But mm-hmm. it's just like I don't know why Sony stopped supporting it and quickly too yeah. dude was it not even a year vita was done i know i felt like sad. yeah it's crazy i feel like if they were to really invest the energy into the psp or the vita they would have done better i think so because it's like stopped it was like at the next e3 there was like no vita stuff and people were like uh what and they, <laughs> they saw the out. writing on the wall yeah they're like oh my god this is dead I know. dead in the water should start collecting for that in PSP. It's a good I think time. What ruined not that it ruined it for me, but the fact that PSP came out with like those UMD movies. Mm-hmm. I was I was not interested in that whatsoever. No. I don't know why. I'm like, yeah. I don't, I don't want to watch a movie on my I mean, granted, I mean now we have Netflix and stuff on, yeah, on ours. Before all that, but still. That's kind of Sony's MO though. You know, yeah, because they make PS2. The yeah. That was the cheapest DVD player you could buy. Yeah. PS3, that was the cheapest Blu-ray player you could buy. And they were thinking, oh, you're going to be in the car. You're going to be mobile. Like, maybe you want to watch a movie. I mean. Yeah, I, we see so many of those in, not, in Bookman's. Yeah, we do. We do. And I'm <laughs> like, oh, I, don't even, I can't even think of a really silly movie to give an example, make a joke out of. But yeah, we saw all kinds of crazy movies. It's like seeing HD DVDs briefly, you know, seeing those on the shelf. Like, yeah, oh, my that, God. Yeah. I mean, imagine if you like, I mean, because that came out at the same time as Blu-ray and trying right. to, you know, you're putting all your, your eggs in one basket. You're like, I'm going to go for Dude, yeah. a high-def <laughs> DVD. And yeah, then, yeah. It's like people who jumped on Betamax. I'm like, I'm going to go Betamax with VHS-1. Feel bad for you. Those are people who jumped on Laserdisc. I'm like, let's do Laserdisc. And I knew people that did. 
Yeah, the Laserdisc is pretty cool. It's good quality. But, yeah, no, they're great. They're the, way ahead of his time, but I mean, just the form factor and the price and everything. Like, yeah. DVDs always... killed that, but still. Yeah, it was first of its kind for sure. Or like, I'm assuming Blu-ray was superior to HD DVD. I never watched anything Oh, it like is, that. absolutely. Video quality and audio quality, amount of channels, disc space, it's, it's far superior. Mm. Far superior. And the cases are blue. Winner! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I kind of want to collect these DVDs now. <laughs> Winner! Because it's a dead format. Yeah. <laughs> Got slim pickings, though. <laughs> slim chickens, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Cameron, thank you for the question. Thank I you. I appreciate that. We hope, hope we didn't uh, attack you too hard there, bud. You know I love you. Good times. Hey, this has been great. Um, if you want to talk on the uh, hotline there, Spark some crazy conversation. 503-908-5490. Of course, the phone number is there for you. The hotline. Record yourself and email it over to HeineHouseLive at gmail.com if you don't want to call. And my website, HeineHouse.com is where you find every, everything else. Before we say goodbye, thank you to all of the amazing patrons you see right here on your screen. Folks, the show is completely supported by all the people you see on the screen here. Thank you, patrons. Ground floor, main floor, game lofters, Brandon, George, Aaron, Luke, and Justin up there. Thank you for your support. All these people are keeping the show alive and well, and I appreciate that greatly. All right. I think it's been uh, I think it's been a good, good fun show. Good laughs, good times, great chatter. Hope you have an amazing week, and we'll see you next time on Honey House Gaming and Tech Podcast. Good night. <laughs>